Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new episode of DNVGL Talks Energy here from the Global Smart Energy Summit in Dubai. My guest today is Aliander CTO Zerun Sher. Welcome, Jeroen. Thank you very much. And we want to talk about the critical role of distribution networks in the changing energy landscape. But, Jeroen, before we go there, it would be great if you could introduce yourself as a person, as well as Aliander. Uh, well, let's start off with Aliander, because okay. that's my uh, employer. Uh, Aliander is the largest uh, grid operator, DSO, in the Netherlands. Uh, roughly 40% of all the grids for electricity and gas is in our hands. Uh, and due to the unbundling in the Netherlands, we are a DSO only, uh, roughly 7,000 employees. Uh, and we try to have the most reliable grid of the world. Not succeeding because Singapore beats us every time with their <laughs> extremely reliable grid, but we have roughly uh, 20 minutes outage on electricity every year. Uh, and on gas, it's less than one minute. Mm -hmm. uh, and then about me, uh, since uh, or a little bit over seven years with Aliander, um, I came to Aliander uh, due to the fact that I was asked to create the energy transition and the digital transformation of the company and to guide it and to direct that. Uh, and that's basically still what I'm doing. Uh, but I'm not only doing that for Aliander, but also for the Dutch. Uh, let's say, the group of all the DSOs we have, uh, trying to influence our regulation, not only on Dutch level, but also on the European level. Sharon, you just mentioned energy transition, um, and this is going on on different levels. We have distributed generation as one example, but it would be interesting, from your perspective, for a distribution system operator, what are the main challenges in the energy transition? Yeah, I think we have three, uh, uh, three transitions actually intertwining uh, and two are pretty obvious. Everyone uh, can understand them. The one is the transition on the, uh, on, the, on the usage side, on the demand side, where everyone starts to drive Teslas and use energy completely differently than what they do now or more. And the second one transition is about the, the renewables coming in, uh, uh, also on large scale or, or on local level. Uh, that's the second transition is on production. And the third one is probably the most forgotten one. That is the transition from a distribution perspective. Uh, people seem to think that the distribution uh, grid is completely unlimited. Uh, and unfortunately for them, it's not. Mm. Uh, simply on the very local level, if you have 200 houses uh, on average uh, connected to your grid and everyone starts to install heat pumps, electrical vehicles, etc., simply uh, when they use it, especially in winter season, they start to use it all at the same time because they want to have heat or charged cars, etc. Then the fuse in the uh, street transformer will blow, mm. as simple as that, and then nobody has light anymore. So that is the biggest challenge we want to avoid. Uh, and, th th and then we have an extra uh, challenge is that we have now so many uh, people who want to install solar parks, wind parks, renewables, etc., that our engineers are not capable of making everything work in just in real life 
to make the grid to make the grid work again. Mm. Uh, so we are really uh, have a challenge in finding enough capable people of making it work. Right. If we look a little bit uh, into the um, importance of grid on national level and, and then what you just described, the more regional setup of grids, uh, you see the balance of the importance uh, shifting? Uh, not enough. I think that when you look at the, especially in, in, on Dutch level, but probably also on European level, is that there is a large focus from regulators on TSOs uh, because they currently run the market uh, as a wholesale market, uh, as a balance uh, uh, operator, and they actually they do a brilliant job. Uh, but now there is a large shift to more th this very local level. So what we will see is that we have local congestion that we have to uh, solve on a local level in that specific context. And when you look at the, uh, the local context, a TSO has no clue because they mm. do not look behind or beyond uh, the substation. Mm. Uh, so uh, I think that we are facing um, a challenge with our regulator that they need to shift their to focus more to the local context we need to manage. Right. I think a particular challenge uh, in countries in Europe or maybe also in the US is that we have old systems which were never designed for the situation they are facing today. Um, we hear a lot about uh, the opportunity to operate these systems much smarter. Um, how, what do you see, uh, what opportunities do you see there about new technologies coming in and heading towards digitalization probably um, to make this more viable and safe solution still for the future? Yeah, there is enormous opportunity, but we also need this opportunity. What we see is that uh, um, currently, actually what we all call on the local level, we are happy but blind. Mm -hmm. uh, so the system is running on distribution level and actually it's running fine because the design we had for let's say 50 years uh, has so much spare capacity in our grid that we can handle basically everything that is on our grid in the next five, seven years. Uh, however, if this local context with renewables and EV and heat pumps really hit the fan, then we have a problem. So what we need to do is not only measure our transformers uh, itself, so we know exactly the local state of our grid and handle uh, and, and do stuff around that, but we also need to capture the data from non-DSO equipment, like the Tesla, like the heat pump, so we know uh, what the load on our grid is. So we need to have digital solutions, data-driven solutions, that capture all the data from our context uh, and use that data wisely to, to for grid management. Mm. Does that mean large capex investments and change of the existing assets? Um, yeah, what we try to avoid is large capex uh, investment because it's all societal money. So we need to do that as wisely as possible. Of course, we cannot avoid it completely. We still spend half a billion every year on our assets. Uh, just for expansion and, and maintenance, etc. Um, but of course, if we want to 
uh, have more digital solutions to use our assets much wisely, we have to do CAPEX investments or OPEX investments as well uh, in these digital solutions to ensure that we avoid these additional asset investments. So it's kind of a balance between more asset investments versus digital solution investments. Right. Um, I want to come back to an interesting point you mentioned earlier, um, that it is difficult to find the engineers or the talent um, who well, can make things work uh, because change happens very fast. Um, so there's obviously a change in the required capabilities, but there's uh, together with this a change in um, the capabilities of the DSO itself. So in that transformation, your role as the CTO, um, how do you see a utility such as Alianda prepared to change fast enough from a people perspective, but also from a culture and technology perspective? Yeah, yeah that's, that's probably the, the question that, that keeps me awake every night. Well, actually, I, I sleep quite well, but that is the main <laughs> question we have, is uh, if we have too few engineers for the next five to 10 years, let's put it that way, and maybe afterwards we have more than sufficient, can we make our engineers more productive can they uh, they work extremely hard they are very capable people uh, but if we can provide them with better digital solutions they can probably work uh, more effective and more efficient and that could be part of the solution mm. uh, of course uh, we have partnerships with all kinds of construction engineers and etc so we partner out uh, however it's a combination of these bringing digital solutions to our engineers to work more efficient and have a larger pool of engineers, uh, of talent. Uh, and of course, we do a lot with HR on uh, uh, education of, uh, and, and re-education and retraining of engineers. Maybe now on the ga they are gas engineers. We can retrain them for electricity, uh, the other way around, etc. So that's what we also try to do. Yes. Um, looking a couple of years back, uh, there were talks about the DES spiral for utilities. There were talks about, that was related to renewables to some extent, and there were talks about new big players coming in, like, uh, let's say, the big uh, search engine and, and data management companies, or then later from the telecommunication sector who had good connections to, to homes already. So. In that transformation, how do you see the importance um, of utilities and what is kind of the, the strategy to survive in, in these scenarios? Uh, actually, for a DSO, that's probably the most simple answer because we are still needed. You still need the cables and the pipes we have in the ground. So for a DSO, actually, that, that question is probably the least complex to answer. Uh, for a retailer, uh, however, it's probably completely different um, because if what, what we see uh, as a DSO is many more local communities starting to ask questions to us and not to the retailer anymore. So they feel uh, probably that the retailer is not helping them enough 
to make the transition to more local, renewable communities. Um, and they need solutions for that. So if you want to survive as a retailer uh, and you still rely on your traditional business model that uh, which is basically uh, uh, around uh, large power plants, the trading of it, the more customers you have, the more energy you can trade and make money with it. Uh, but if you still lose more and more customers or the margin on the customers is really diminishing, um, then you, as a retailer, you have to make really a shift to uh, a community manager or an aggregator or something much more. It's not one size fits all anymore. Yeah. Um, we discussed a little bit earlier here with a colleague from NREL um, the kind of plummeting cost for energy, um, which also come then with interesting implications uh, with regards to investments. But then, bottom line, talking about margins you just mentioned, um, how much money can you make with selling or distributing electricity at some point in time? Um, then, a little bit earlier, uh, we talked about the importance of regional uh, setups uh, rather than the national ones. And we briefly touched upon new players coming in uh, changing a little bit business plans of some partners in the, in the ecosystems. So taking that all together, um, to have a successful ecosystem which the different players involved, um, how would you think these need to work together so that everybody gets a piece of the pie to keep operating? Um, yeah, that, that's an interesting question that has a lot to do with how, how the entire market model uh, will work. Um, I, I believe that in the end, uh, since energy, it will never be free. Mm. A lot of people tell that energy will be free, and so that will not be the case. You still need to transport it or distribute it, etc. So there is still a kind of societal cost in transporting the energy from A to B. Uh, and probably when you uh, uh, decrease the, the, the distance an electron can tr uh, has to travel, the cheaper it will get. Uh, as a retailer, um, making money out of this is probably very difficult. Uh, however, and uh, I think that's the good news, uh, customers, uh, households uh, or smaller businesses, although they care about energy, but they want to have it cheap they want to have it uh, uh, a reliable uh, and probably uh, and as, as, as clean as possible. And they will pay for a solution that gives them that comfort feeling. Uh, it's still a commodity energy. And uh, actually, it, I want to keep it that way. So you don't want to think about, can I switch on my light tonight or not? Uh, is my house warm enough? tonight or do I have to decrease my temperature uh, one or two degrees because the grid is not able to handle it or the price is too high etc. So if you can automate that as a kind of a combination of retailer or aggregator and a DSO in a new market structure um, based on this local context I think you can still make good money mm. out of energy but not the enormous amounts of money 
uh, and profits we knew 10 years ago. Right. So uh, Alienda uh, is a world leading uh, distribution system operator. Can you share with us what, what is your secret sauce and looking forward, what can you share with us there you do to stay at this position? Um, that has a lot to do with that we um, we have a little bit of different culture than many other DSOs. Um, many DSOs are very reluctant for innovation because they are grid managers. And as the word manager already says, don't touch it, it won't break. And the first thing we do uh, with an Oleander, and I play a role in that, is I want to break it as fast as possible. Uh, so fail fast, learn fast, so we do a lot of innovation uh, in order to learn the new energy system because we have no clue. Nobody has a clue. We have ingredients, we have a lot of ingredients, but how this will come together, nobody knows. So it's all about taking risk, uh, but do it small, start small, fail fast, learn fast, and uh, we throw away a lot of our solutions we developed because we see they don't work. So don't be afraid to throw away new stuff. Right. Uh, is that a secret? Uh, maybe for a DSO it's a secret. Uh, but when you look at retailers or uh, any other industries, telecom providers, they do exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So it's not a secret, it's just innovation to another level. Right. And we see that the customer, the end client, is getting more and more importance, uh, kind of demanding new services and more comfort. Um, Jeroen, uh, we slowly come uh, to an end of this episode already, but uh, I'd like to take the benefits since we are here on the Global Smart Energy Summit in, in Dubai. Um, what are your expectations? Uh, what do you want to take home? But also, what can Alianda bring to this region? Well, bringing is exactly what I just talked about, all these innovative solutions and what we learned, uh, what is, especially in what is not working, uh, and of course what is working we can bring to the table as well. So we do that. What I would like to learn here is, um, especially in the Middle East, it's a different situation than what we have in the Netherlands, of course. It's much more all electric here. Uh, it's much more solar here. Uh, but there are so many, uh, um, w when you look around here at the, the, the summit, uh, w which is connected to the Middle East uh, Convention on Electricity, you see so many smart solutions from startups, smaller companies who thought of solutions that I, I couldn't dream of, but they're already there. So what I will do in the plane when I, uh, when I fly back home, I make a complete list of all the brilliant little solutions like Lego bricks that we can glue together to a new complete solution that will stabilize our grid. Jeroen, talking about the energy transition, um, we have just described or you have just described uh, like on a high level the challenges, but I would also be interested in the differences when we talk about electricity distribution and gas distribution. Also in the context that uh, we tend to say gas is a frenemy 
of renewables. What um, is your take uh, on that? Um, well, it's, uh, uh, it's interesting because when you look at electricity and gas as we do it now, we have fossil uh, gas, of course, uh, uh, coming from Norway, the Netherlands, Russia, whatever. And that's completely a separated system from the electricity grid. And what we will see happening actually are two things that will, uh, will, will uh, go on. First of all, uh, uh, when people start to use hybrid heat pumps, uh, then for seasonal impact, especially in the winter, um, when the grid has congestion, you can switch your heat pump to gas as a, let's say, backup facility, so you still have your heat pump running, only not on electricity anymore. Uh, and the second transition that will go on, and uh, I think a lot of people forget that, is that uh, we will move away from fossil gas, of course. Mm. But there are many, many other solutions from biogas, synthetic gas, uh, gas that we can produce actually on sea uh, and make it methane out of it. Uh, so we can make non-fossil gas put into our grid, uh, on our gas grid, and use that in this hybrid solution so you see that the gas and the electricity grid, uh, if you really uh, use it and look at it as one system, you can optimize that one system using non-fossil fuels as a backup mm. or even maybe as a main source uh, together with renewable energy and make a CO2 neutral environment. Okay, Verun, that brings us uh, to the end. Thank you very much for your valuable insights and thank you to the listeners for listening. That was Zerun Seer, the CTO of the Dutch distribution system operator Aliander on the critical role of distribution networks in the changing energy landscape. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.